0: As we stand in this sanctuary today, I invite you to take your copy of the Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. I will read from Scripture today, Exodus 6, 13, and then chapter 7, verse 6. Exodus 6, 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, Egypt's king, giving them orders to let the Israelites go from the land of Egypt. Now chapter 7, verse 6. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we come to you today as a family of faith. We come to you hungry and in need of a touch from your hand and a word from your heart. Lord, the flag is in the sanctuary today to remind us of our earthly obligations, of our call to love our neighbors, You've called us in your word to pray for our leaders. And today, Lord, we lift our voices to pray for the leaders of our land. Locally in Texas, in the United States. Lord, it has been a week of heartbreak and tragedy. And Lord, it is also... Memorial Day weekend, we'll gather with our neighbors tomorrow to pray for those who have lost loved ones in our service. Lord, it is a reminder that not, not all is right in the world. That this world is touched by our sin and our brokenness, by lack of peace, and by war. Or we come hungry because we want to be people of faith in the midst of this trying time. We come, Lord, because we want to hear from you. We need your word more than we need bread and oxygen. So we want you to speak. So to this end, Lord, we come and we ask you to give us hearts that are tender, that would receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil. We pray, Lord, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us a frame and a strong, that our service would be like your own. And God, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices today, asking you to cleanse us and forgive us and inspire us and breathe your spirit afresh into us. That the overflow of our hearts would be the words of your grace and your gospel. We pray, Lord, in this world that a word of life would be found on our tongues. God, this is our prayer. In the beautiful and the mighty name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Nevertheless... The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaohs, king of Egypt, giving them orders to let the Israelites go from the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Now, if you took those two verses out of their context, as I've done twice already this morning, it would look like things were easy breezy. That God spoke and God's people acted. Uh, Back in the day, they used to hang banners over churches during camp meetings and revival meetings that says, God said it, I believed it, and that settled it, like things were pretty simple. And, And if you just took these two verses out of their context, like I've already done, it would seem like things were simple. God said it, they believed it, that settled it, and all God's children left their captivity. But that's not how the story went. Nor is it how our lives are going. We have to live out our faith, not in a neutral zone, but in contested space. And we have to believe the word of God. We have to believe the name of Christ. We have to trust God in a situation, in a system of hardness and and of pressure. It's not as easy as it looks when you pull the verses out of context. That's why I like the way that the CEB, which is what I read from today, how it rendered that verse, the first one we read, nevertheless, the Lord spoke. You could do this and, or you could do this but, but I like how they captured the spirit of the thing. I like how they captured the attitude of it. Nevertheless, the Lord spoke. You see, the word of God is a nevertheless kind of word. It's a word that breaks through the stuff it breaks through all the counter narratives it breaks through all the pressures all of the sin and flesh and the activity of the adversary that blurs us to that which is really 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 real you see the weights and the pressures of our sin and the sins of others will just bleach out reality and we start to think that things like failure and resistance and disappointment and exhaustion and weakness that that is what is really real and we'll say look I'm just a realist I'm just a pragmatist let me tell you what things are and how it is and and the way things are and how it is, is is a way of failure and resistance and disappointment and exhaustion and weakness nevertheless the lord spoke to moses and aaron and that word broke through that wall and the light came in And they could see that what they had accepted as reality was not reality at all, but but reality bleached of its realness because we live in a world that is God's world. And that which is real is that which belongs to God. It's a powerful truth. A nevertheless word in the middle of the world as it is. A nevertheless word that reminds us there's more than what we see and taste and touch and hear that beyond the mere sensual there is the spiritual and there is a God that has spoken and a God that speaks. And when that God speaks, when that God speaks, we stand before the wall that we call reality and we peep through and we see what is really, really, really real and that's life with God in the midst of it. A God who offers us his name. And gives us his promise. I was recently reading a novel by Robert Penn Warren. Man to have that kind of talent. Here's a guy who won the, won the prize. I mean the big dog prize for poetry and the novel. I mean you lay awake in bed at night if you're a writer and dream of one or the other. And he won them both. Now I was rereading a book, A Place to Come to by By Robert Penn Warren and there was a scene early in that novel that just illustrates this idea of the power of the word to open you up to that which is really real the hero of this novel is a young man named Jed Tewksbury who was raised in rural Alabama his mother refused to allow them to call themselves white trash it didn't stop the neighbors they were on the low end of the pecking order with shame and poverty and all types of challenges stacked up against them. But, but Jed had a couple things going for him. One, he was a good little football player. That's a ticket out in a place like Claxton County, Alabama. And he was smart as a whip. He was whip smart. And early on, he developed a proficiency for languages, particularly Latin. He had a great classics teacher in his little high school in Alabama that took a liking to him. And, and, and he did something that was extraordinary He found upperclassmen and during the week he would rent for a quarter over the weekends or a nickel or a dime over the weekends their textbooks and he'd work ahead. And this is how he narrated that whole experience. He said, you can have it till Monday, he said. already done my lesson for Monday, so it cost me a nickel every weekend all that year. For the life of me, I would not have been able to say what drew me on weekend after weekend, pouring over the book. Copying out what I meant to learn during the week to come. There was a blind need, that was all. I was hungry and I ate. Now, however, as I look back, I think I understand things better. It was not hunger, it was magic. It was a deep, primitive magic. And as subtle as that, in Claxford County, reality, as I have said, had been bleached away. But if you found a new name for a thing, it became real. That was the magic of the name. And if you found the names for all the things of the world, you could create a world that was real and that was different. The crazy word on the page was like a little hole in a great wall. You could peek through the hole and see a world where everything was different and bright. That world, I realized, was a strange numbness of awe. It was not far away. It was just on the other side of the wall you see a word can be a magic word C.S. Lewis said that the gospel is the deep magic and the word is the deep magic word of grace God stood before Moses and he said my name is I am Jesus stood before the world and said before Abraham was born, I am. And that word of God tore a hole in the wall. And all who stand there and look through it see reality as God does. The word of God is a nevertheless word. And that wall is formidable. And the bricks are bricks of failure and resistance and disappointment and exhaustion and weakness. Some of you are standing at that wall. Perhaps all of us are in one way or another. We're standing there. I invite you for one moment this morning. Before we break from this place and find our Sunday dinners to take your eyes from the bricks for just a moment and imagine yourself before the light of the hole. And for just a moment, let's look through it and see if we can, from this story of Moses and Aaron in the Word, if we can see through that that hole of light that is the Word of God. And hear with our eyes and see with our ears. The deep magical word, I am sent you. Nevertheless, we can trust the word of God when we stand before the wall of failure. This is how this section of the story started with Moses. When we, when we left Moses, he had been called by God to go and to serve the purposes of God in Egypt to declare the liberty of the captives. And we saw how Moses wrestled with that call. I, I don't know enough about you. I don't know your name. I, I don't speak well. I, 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 I don't what they won't listen to me. I don't, I, 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 I. And God said, I will be with you. And he goes and he sees Jethro. And he says, I'm going to go. And, 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 and Jethro said, go. And Moses packs it all up. I mean, just backs up the Mayflower truck. He's not going on a business trip. He is moving his life. And his wife, Sapphira, goes with him and his boys. And they pack it all up and they head out to be faithful to what God has called him to do. He's either going to stay there for the rest of his life or he's coming out with all of them. But he's not there on a trip. He's there on a mission from God. And the most wildly absurd thing happens in chapter 4, verse 24. The first confrontation that Moses has is not with Pharaoh. It's with the God that called him. Listen to these words. I bet none of you have ever memorized this verse of Scripture. Your grandmama did not cross-stitch it. You've never seen it on a T-shirt. But listen in chapter 4, verse 24. It says, During their journey, as they camped overnight, the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. Now, we don't really deal with this one in children's Sunday school because it'll warp a kid early you got to be a serious grown-up having walked with God for a long time to even sort of trip around this. When, when I read all the commentaries about this verse of Scripture, they don't do much better than, than Sunday school teachers with children trying to figure it out. I mean, they get super complicated, and they lean into the magic of in-house language. Well, do you see the documentary hypothesis says you got to do this. You gotta... Everybody's blown away by this. But if you look at it in the arc of the story, I think it makes a good bit of sense. Moses goes out and he camps with his family on the first night, and he's confronted by God, and it's a fierce confrontation. And as the story goes, Zipporah steps in as a mediator, just as Moses had done for her when he first came to Midian. She steps in to try to rescue this man, and she takes a knife, a sharpened stone, and she circumcises their son whom they had failed to circumcise. And then she covers Moses, and we'll just say the affected area, to use a medical term, with blood. And this act turns back the wrath of the Lord. You say, Matt, what on earth was happening here? You see, way back in Genesis, Genesis 17, uh, the word of God came to Abraham that circumcision would be part of the identity of a people of a covenant beginning at that moment. You remember how Moses was born? And for a while they were able to keep him in the house and they were able to keep him there because little bitty babies just sleep all the time and don't make a whole lot of noise. And if they do, you can hush them real quick with milk. They kept him only as long as they could until he tried to develop his lungs and started screaming. So he was in a family that let the knife of circumcision pass. And it wouldn't be a problem because he'd be raised in the palace of the Egyptians anyhow. And he wore wore the marks of the Egyptians and not of the people of the covenant. And nobody would be able to know that Except for God and Zipporah. And when the boys were born, these boys of delight and promise, for one reason or another, Moses let that act of faithfulness slip. And here, as he goes to be the hero of God's story, God confronts him first to say to him down in his bone marrow, Listen, I know you, and I know these identity issues, and I know this secret shame, and I know this secret sin. I know the you that nobody else knows. And God, in his fierce love, confronts his failure. You see, we start to think, well, maybe if I'm just doing the work of God, that's enough, and all this stuff can lay hidden and buried and covered up God always knows that which is shameful and that which is secret and he confronts it and in, and in an atmosphere of failure where that large stone of failure stands before us God speaks a word and that word lets the light in to our realm of failure. And that light lets us see through and it lets us hear nevertheless the word of God. And from that place of secret shame and failure, the mission of the Lord moved forward. Thanks be to a God too good and too great to ever comprehend. Far too wonderful to make up. Nevertheless, we can trust I am when we're standing at the wall of failure. And then it moves from there to resistance. You see in chapter 4, 27 to 5, 18, Moses goes down and he begins to talk to the Israelites. And he says, we are a people of promise. We are a people of a covenant. God, God is going to bring us out of here. And, and, and he told the story. And oh, what a story it was. And they were overjoyed. And they began to worship God. These slaves began to To worship God. And so Moses goes from God's people into the court of the leaders of Egypt. And he says, listen, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to let these people go and worship in the wilderness. He wants you to let them go for a while. Let them go out there and worship him out out in the wilderness. And God had told Moses to speak to Israel, and he did, and they started to worship, and he went and he told God, told him, You need to go down and speak to the Pharaoh, and he did. And you know what Pharaoh said? He said, That sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. No, he didn't. It's not what he said. I mean, if the lines are always falling to you in pleasant places, you know, uh, if God is a vending machine and you put your quarter in, out comes your blessings, then that's how it would have gone. But when he goes to the leadership of Egypt, this is what they say. They say they are weak and lazy, and that's why they cry, let's go and offer sacrifices to our God. They said they don't want to go out there because of God. They want to go out there because they're weak and they're lazy. You see, sometimes in life, you are confronted with a resistance, a stone of resistance that misunderstands your intentions, that misunderstands your heart, and and that misunderstands your, your motives, what drives you. No, they don't want to worship God. They want to go out there because they are sick of this, and they're weak, and they're lazy. And they said, okay, because of this request, this is what I will do in response to what you've told me to do. More bricks, no straw. We're going to cut back on what we provide, and we're going to keep the quota the same. Get after it, lazy worshipers. Get after it. Resistance is strong. Resistance is strong. Nevertheless, the word of God came to Moses and to Aaron. This stone of resistance was met and put together and joined together with the stone of failure with another stone, the stone of, of, of disappointment. 519 to 68, the response of the people when they get this is they look at Moses and, and they say to Moses in 521, the supervisor said to them, Let the Lord see and judge what you've done. You've made us stink in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants. You've given them a reason to kill us. So the Egyptians responded to the call, let them go and worship with their lazy. More work for them. When that comes back to God's people, they look at Moses and they say, God's going to judge you, boy, because you've made a stink to the Egyptians. Now, the way over the past decade it's worked with automobiles in my family is Meredith drives a family car, and I drive the car that used to be the family car. You know that. You've you've lived that out. And sometimes the car that used to be the family car comes with an assortment of odors. Uh, (laughs) I I have a friend that grew up in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and she said, Pascagoula has seven discernible smells. Now, if you've ever had a young family, you know that the car that used to be the family car generally has seven to eight discernible smells, and, and you learn to live with those. You become nose-blind to those, but every now and then, a, something will enter the car that used to be the family car that's just out of the ordinary, undiscernible, and you go, oh my goodness, what is that? And the family begins to search high and low in the car that used to be the family car for the what was that? And they find your son's gem sock that had rolled out of the bag, and is, Left to marinate in the sun or, or, or something like that. And when you find that thing, that that, you're like, I got it. And you contort and you twist and you beg for the mercy of the one from on high. God's people looked at Moses and they said, you have made us Wretched. Wretched in the eyes of Egypt, and we were having a hard enough time getting along anyway. Disappointment is a powerful reality. And some of you are standing there and the stone of disappointment is looking you in the eye. And you would say, God, why are you doing this to us? Why on earth are you doing this to us? I love what it said in 22. It says, Moses turned to the Lord. As he heard the voice of the complaint of the people, Moses didn't lash out at them. And we see a pattern that emerges in Moses' life that would win him the designation the most humble man on the earth. To the voice of disappointment, Moses turned to the Lord. And he prayed a rugged, tough prayer. And it was honest and it was raw before God. And he poured it out. And in the face of disappointment, we hear the nevertheless of the word of God. Nevertheless, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And then if you're, if you're legoing this, this wall, Together, This wall that seems to confront us so relentlessly in this world. It goes from disappointment and it turns into utter and complete exhaustion. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. One of the rawest verses, I think, in all the Bible. See, God encouraged Moses and said, go back and go speak to him again. And it says, but they didn't listen to Moses... Because of their complete exhaustion and hard labor. Have you ever been completely exhausted? In a moment of complete exhaustion, reality is bleached away, bleached away, and it's hard to hear from God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Over the course of his ministry suffered very painfully and relentlessly with anxiety and deep depression. His note on this verse of scripture is one of the most tender, hardest, sweetest, and in my mind's encouraging notes in all of his writings and preaching. Spurgeon said, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Among all the reasons I've ever heard, the one with which I have most sympathy is that some cannot receive Christ because they are so full of anguish and so crushed in spirit that they cannot find strength of mind enough to entertain a hope that by any possibility salvation can come to them. I have felt the same way myself. I do remember when in my anguish I could not believe even Jesus himself. Therefore, as one who has worn the chains, I speak to those who are still in chains." I know the clanking of those chains. I know what it is to feel the damp of the stone walls and the fear that there is no coming out of prison. I know and have felt the despair that even when the emancipator turned the great key in the lock and set the door wide open, yet my still, my heart had made for itself a dire cage and there is no prison so often that which is built by despair and kept under the custody of a crushed spirit. You see, God's people were not only under the taskmasters of Egypt, but they were were imprisoned to their crushed spirit. Utterly and completely exhausted. Nevertheless, the word of God came to Moses and Aaron. To this, Moses responds by holding before the Lord that heavy stone of weakness. And in 10 to 12, after God calls him yet again, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, Egypt's king, to let Israel go. But Moses said to the Lord, The Israelites haven't listened to me. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen to me? especially since I'm not a very good speaker. Once again, he offers that up to God, and he says, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. He stood before a wall of complete impotency and weakness and powerlessness that's precisely when it said nevertheless the Lord say that with me nevertheless the Lord Robert Jensen said that there are two questions at the end of the Old Testament one is explicit and one is implicit the explicit question is from the story of Ezekiel and the question is as he stares into a valley of dry bones And this is a question from the Lord. Can these bones live? Can there be a way made where there is no way? He said the implicit question that comes from that is that will a true shoot yet somehow spring from the vine of Jesse and establish righteousness, eternal righteousness and peace on the earth? To this question and to the other Jensen says Christianity is faith that Mary's child is God's personal answer to both questions utter weakness nevertheless the Lord You see, we're in a season of life where we need to be super honest about reality and about God and about ourselves. The season of self help is over. Read the paper, scroll Twitter, talk to your friends, look in the mirror. We're in a moment where we're down in the dirt before God saying, I can't. We're on the horizon of nothingness, declaring our nothingness, if we know what's real and right and true. But here's the deal, that's not the whole true and that's not the whole real and that's not the whole right. It's a major part of the puzzle and until we can declare our, our need, we'll never be in a position to receive his supply. But when we can boldly say before God, I can't do it. You'd be surprised to know that the wind of the spirit stirs and clatters the bones. And bones can become an army. And garden tombs that held the bones of Jesus can open to show the light of life. And that we can stand in the in the face of a wall of discouragement and despair and resistance and exhaustion and failure and sin and private shame. We can stand right there at that wall saying, that's life. And then we can see the whole—that that is the Word of God that says, before Abraham was born, I am and I am sending you. And these bones can yet live again. We are in a moment of national and personal despair And that's the pregnant and right moment for the church to with trembling voice declare the word of God. Moses says, I don't speak well, and certainly he didn't. You know what strikes me as powerful? That when Moses came down off of Sinai to teach God's people the covenant and commands of God He delivered the word of God with a stutter. You see, friends, the word of God stutters because God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up. This, I believe to be on this Sunday morning, the word of God thanks be to God (laughs) let's pray our good and our holy Lord we thank you for a chance to be in this room we thank you that you meet us here in this concrete place in this specific time and that you speak and we know you speak because you have spoken that word which is Christ you turned to us in love and you revealed yourself and you brought us to yourself You've invited us to yourself, and you've sent us forth to live with you and for you. Lord, many of us have heard this message in many different ways. For some, Lord, they they are far from you, do not know you. Lord, thank you that you have revealed yourself to the world through Christ. And that you reveal yourself personally by your spirit in this room today. And I pray, Lord, anyone watching or listening or here, doesn't know you that today would be a day where they would make a step of trust you spoke your name Lord you weren't giving us a code to break but you were giving us a reason to trust Lord for many of us we come and we feel the burdens of our own weakness and our own sin we pray Lord that you would visit us with your refreshing presence you would cleanse us and speak to us with your relentless word you will go Speak my word of life in this earth. Do your work in us and through us, Lord, as we rise and sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand and sing. We call this a hymn of commitment. If you have made commitments in the privacy of your heart and you feel that God would have you make them publicly today, we invite you to come as we sing together to him.